God has come to His people and you did not recognize that this was the day that God came. And as a result, the destruction that will result from your unrighteous failure to recognize your Messiah will be a testimony now hundreds and hundreds of years later. That's Jesus' meaning about the stones. But he gives these instructions, and the instructions include, you know, telling. Luke's not specific here, but the other gospel writers are, are more specific to say, tell them that I'll, the, the cult will be brought back. So the owners come and they say, what are you doing taking our animal? They say, the Lord Jesus has needed this. Oh, please take it. Please take it. Well, we'll bring it back. So it's important here that the sin bearer still remains sinless. He's not stealing anything. He's not going to steal the animal. It'll, it'll be brought back after it's used. So they go along. Now let's skip to verse 36. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So they're spreading the cloaks before this donkey that's carrying Jesus. And remember, this is a very small donkey. Jesus, Jesus is a full-grown man. This must have looked a little awkward. A full-grown man. Jesus is probably having to hold his legs off the ground from dragging the ground. Because this is a small animal. But as he's walking along, they're spreading their cloaks on the ground. <clears throat> and the donkey is then walking on top of their cloaks, or their, their coats, their outer garments. What's the significance there? The significance there is, is that, that was just a symbolic way for the people to say, I put myself under your feet. They, of course, didn't want to literally put themselves under the donkey's feet, trip up the donkey and throw Jesus off and everything, but symbolically they lay their cloaks down as if to say, I, I put myself under you. For, kind of for the same reason that ancient thrones were, were up high, so that you were under the king's feet or under the queen's feet. Similar in, in a way, I guess, to some days gone past, some more chivalrous days gone past when you used to hear maybe the old movies, you'd see the guy take his coat off and put it over the puddle for the, for the lady to walk over. Legend has it that uh, Sir Walter Raleigh did that for the queen and the queen walked over his coat so that she didn't step in the puddle. Similar kind of thing. I put myself under your feet. So it's a sign of submission. We put ourselves under your feet. John tells us that there's the palm branches as well. Palm branches were a symbol of joy. And so they're doing this all to just as this outward show of, of joy and exaltation and submission to you. Now, we, we can't possibly forget that the majority of this crowd that's shouting Hosanna, putting down their cloaks, saying, we put ourselves under your feet, the majority of this crowd will be the same crowd that cries, crucify him on Friday. And so those who are expressing submission to Jesus now will express hatred for Jesus. Many of them will, will express hatred for Jesus in just a few days. Reminds us of a truth that is so very true for us today as well. So often we can claim submission to Jesus and that submission to Jesus lasts just as long until it stops. We can be submissive to Jesus until we're not. Until Jesus asks something of us unpleasant or Jesus asks us to give up a favorite sin 
or Jesus says something to us from his word that we don't particularly like, and then we're submissive to, uh, to him until we're not. Which is why Jesus in the same gospel earlier says, why do you say, Lord, Lord, to me and do not do what I say? So this is a sign of submission, the spreading of the cloaks. And then, as he was, I'm sorry, verse 37, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. So Jesus has now crested the Mount of Olives. And as he crests the Mount of Olives, we're told that he's starting down the other side, down the western slope into the holy city. Now, what's impossible for us to really understand, I think, as 21st century Western people, is the degree of pride that the ancient Jew had over the holy city. The holy city of Jerusalem was the source of greatest pride for the Jew. Now, the holy city, as you came over the Mount of Olives, remember, you couldn't see it until you crested the mountain. And you look down, you're looking down about 330 feet down to the holy city. As you look down, the sight of the ancient city of Jerusalem must have been spectacular. Mainly because of the temple. Because the temple was covered, the exterior was covered with gold and silver. Now Jesus is coming from the east. And this is probably in the morning hours. So the sun is probably behind him. And the sun maybe reflects off of the gold of the temple and the silver of the temple and just illumines it and it was just brilliant. It's hard to describe what the Jew felt coming over the Mount of Olives and seeing the holy city. So here's this crowd that's already on cloud nine. Just joyful and exuberant and euphoric and now they crest the hill and they see the city. Jesus also sees the city. But now we notice just starkly contrasting reactions. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So Luke tells us that it's Jesus' disciples who begin this chanting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, etc., etc. They see the city, and they're so moved by what they see that they just begin this loud, Luke says, this very loud praise. And it gets louder, and it gets louder. And they're praising God. There's the holy city. We've made it. This is Passover week. This is the holy time of the year. Here is the man that we believe to be our Messiah, and we're now entering into the city. This is, this is probably the greatest day of their life. They're thinking, this is the greatest day of my life. Verse 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. So, <clears throat> picture the scene. The disciples are just louder and louder and louder. Hosanna, blessed is the name of the Lord. And then here's Jesus. Weeping. There's several words in the Greek that can mean cry. Luke uses the strongest one he can use. So what Luke is saying is Jesus isn't shedding a tear. Jesus didn't get teary-eyed. He's sobbing. This word could mean bewailing or moaning with lamentation. 
This is a stronger word than John uses to describe Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus is wailing. So the crowd is so loud and shouting and just praising God. And here's Jesus sobbing. Maybe they saw Jesus and thought he was crying for joy. Maybe they can't hear him. The crowd is just louder and louder and Jesus is weeping over his city. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, my people. If you just knew that this is the day that brings peace, but you don't see it. And so you're now blind to it. And he's just emotionally drained and tears flowing down his face as he's looking down at the city of his people. And the people, meanwhile, are still thinking this is the best day of their life. Now let's go back up to verse 39. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They've gone too far. They are saying things now that necessarily equate you with God. They've gone too far. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And look at Jesus' response. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. What does Jesus mean? For decades, I thought this is what Jesus meant. God's Messiah will be praised. And if they stop praising, then the stones will have to praise because God's Messiah will be praised. For decades, I thought that's what that meant. That's not what Jesus means. To get at what Jesus means, let's think for just a minute about some of the other times that Jesus talked about stones. When did Jesus talk about stones? He talked about stones like uh, stone the builders rejected. We know that. He talked about uh, those who lead little ones astray. It's better than a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. He He talked about stones on other occasions. The enemy came to him during his time of temptation and says, make this, these stones into bread, right? But all of those times are separated by a totally different context. When did Jesus talk about stones in a context close to this one? Actually, it's going to happen in just a couple of chapters in Luke 23. In Luke 23, Jesus goes into the temple for the last time. And he pronounces woe upon the Pharisees, woe upon the temple. And he's leaving the temple in disgust. Because what did he just see in the temple? He just saw a poor widow put her very last penny, all that she had to live on, because she had been told if she does that, God will bless her. And he's disgusted by that. And he leaves the temple in disgust. And while he does so, the disciples say, Lord, look at this magnificent place. And Jesus says, I tell you. Not one stone will be left upon another. And then he goes to the Mount of Olives and declares the Olivet Discourse. So in that context, Jesus talks about the stones of the temple being torn down as though it's a testimony against something. So this teaches us of a Hebrew saying. 
There was a very common saying that went kind of like this. Injustice and unrighteousness committed against innocent people. The results of that injustice cries out as a testimony against you. For example, if the Jews might say something like this, that, that if an unrighteous person comes and destroys your house, then the wreckage of your house cries out as a testimony. We see a similar thing in Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk is talking about the Babylonians and how the Babylonians are such an unrighteous, unjust people. And he says, woe to these Babylonians who come and they tear down these houses. He says, the stones of the houses and the beams of the houses will cry out against you. And that was a common Hebrew saying. That when injustice and unrighteousness produce destruction... The destroyed things cry out as testimony against your unrighteousness. Not unlike what God said in Genesis chapter 4, when he comes to Cain and says, Cain, the blood of your brother Abel is crying out to me from the ground. Not unlike what Jesus will say later about the blood of the prophets crying out from the ground. Or what the martyrs, those who have lost their life for Jesus will say in the Revelation, when they say, Lord, our blood cries out to you, when will you avenge it? So there was this common saying that if out of unrighteousness, stones were torn down, then those stones would cry out as testimony against your unrighteous acts. That's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, if they stop proclaiming me as Messiah, then the consequence is going to be this will be torn down and the very stones will be the testimony of your unrighteousness. He says this explicitly in just a few sentences. Look down at verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus makes it explicit there. The Messiah of God's people is entering the holy city. And for the moment, they are expressing recognition of him. The Pharisees say, rebuke these people for recognizing you as Messiah. Jesus says, if they stop recognizing me as Messiah, this place will be torn down as a testimony to their silence. That's exactly what happened. They are proclaiming him as the king, the son of David now. But those proclamations will soon stop. And they will turn into the proclamations of crucify him, crucify him. Give us instead the robber, the murderer, and crucify him. Away with him. And Jerusalem will never again to this day proclaim Jesus as Messiah. Oh, there's Pentecost and there will be a church in Jerusalem, yes. But Jerusalem as a city will not ever again proclaim Jesus as Messiah up to this day. And as Jesus said, 70 years later, or I'm sorry, 40 years later in 70 AD, the Romans come and they tear everything down. And Jesus says, that's a testimony. A testimony 
to their silence. Their silence that I am the Messiah. God has come to his people. And you did not recognize that this was the day that God came. And as a result, the destruction that will result from your unrighteous failure to recognize your Messiah will be a testimony now hundreds and hundreds of years later. That's Jesus' meaning about the stones. Now, what was the whole thing about today? What was the whole message of Jesus' entering into the city? Because we began by saying that this day should for all believers be a most important time of celebration. This should be at the top of our list of Christian holidays of the year. Why? What's the meaning behind this? What, what is this teaching us? I think to answer that question, we simply need to ask ourselves, or at least start with this one question. Jesus, on this day, receives worship. In fact, Jesus not only receives worship, Jesus engineers the worship. I mean, didn't he? He didn't just let people worship him. Jesus brought this about. The whole donkey thing? I mean, he's the one that put that idea in the disciples' head. Without that, he would have walked into the city. Certainly they made the connection between an animal that's never been used before and the humility of a donkey. Certainly they made that connection. Now Jesus says, go and get that for me. All of Jesus' life, he has refused worship. People would recognize him. I know who you are. Quiet. Don't tell anybody. Demons would recognize him. Quiet. Don't tell anybody. Now, for some reason, Jesus not only receives worship and allows it, he facilitates it. Why this day? Why has Jesus spent three years refusing worship and now brings it about himself? Because on this day, Jesus is showing us, he's giving us a picture, he's giving us a demonstration, he's giving us a real-life metaphor for his return. That's what the entry into the holy city is. It's an acting out of Jesus' second return. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.